Hello, pod pals, and welcome back to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. I'm your host, Nicole Davis. This week, my guest is Mika Watkins, a screenwriter for television and film whose career is already on a really exciting trajectory. She's been part of the writers' rooms for Black Mirror and the Amazon series Hannah, has written episodes for Sky's Lucky Man and BBC One period drama Troy, Fall of a City, and she also created, showran and executive produced the 10-part sci-fi series Origin for Left Bank and YouTube Premium. Mika is currently writing a range of her own projects, including Love Story, a Tokyo-set rom-com for 11 films, Jaketsu, a series about 16th century female samurai for Sister Pictures and Amazon, and Yakuza for FX, which is being produced by Fargo and Legion's Noah Hawley. Mika is also currently writing on Guillermo del Toro's Netflix horror anthology series, 10 After Midnight, and has just wrapped directing a short film that she also wrote for Film 4. So there is plenty to talk about. Uh, we go deep into Mika's writing practice, how she generates ideas, and at what stage she actually starts writing. We talk about her experience in writers' rooms, as well as what it was like showrunning Origin, and why she recently turned her hand to directing, but why her heart will always be with writing. Mika's incredibly intelligent and eloquent, and that definitely comes across in our chat. Um, Yeah, it was a real, real treat to have her on the podcast and to be able to interrogate how and why she writes. This is episode 82 of Best Girl Grip. like to start this podcast is just getting a sense of where you went to university if you did and what you studied there. So I went to Warwick Uni and I studied English Literature and Comparative Studies. Okay so did you have a sense then of maybe what you wanted to do afterwards or you were following your interest in in kind of reading and literature? I just I always wanted to be a writer I think because my granddad was a poet and I just kind of grown up in a family where that was a legitimate career choice Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of people don't get that but I didn't know what medium it would be so I wrote a lot of poetry when I was a kid. And then when I was a teenager, I wrote sort of really bad teen novels. And then I went to university and one of the modules was the option was there to write a screenplay. Mm. So I wrote a screenplay and that just felt really right. It kind of felt like I'd found the medium that I wanted to work in. So that's kind of the first time. But yeah, I guess it, I guess it kind of in many ways started at university. Amazing. And did you kind of, you know, beyond that, know what it meant to be a screenwriter? And was that kind of your first window into that world? I really didn't know what it meant at all. I think I think a lot of people don't. And I think that's what's quite intimidating about coming into the industry. If you don't have people in the family or in your immediate connections that are doing that kind of work. Yeah, I just knew that I wanted to write television and film and I knew it was what inspired me. But the actual process of getting in and doing that professionally was very long and arduous. I mean, that begs the question, you know, what was your kind of first official job in the film industry, you know, after graduating? So what was that process to getting your foot in the door? Well, I actually started in Factent. I moved to London with about six weeks worth of rent money. And I sort of knew I had to get a job. And I just emailed all the production companies I could think of for jobs and one company called Objective gave me a job as just a junior researcher in fact then so I did that for a little bit and then I went to work at a company called Mentorn where I did sort of more fact factual stuff and documentaries and that kind of thing and then I got offered an internship at Left Bank Pictures but at the same time I was back at Objective and I knew I wanted to write and I actually left to go do this internship at Left Bank, but I left a sitcom script 
on the head of comedy's desk and I kind of said please will someone read this and it was just quite fortuitous that a new head of comedy started just afterwards and he did read it and he called me and said I've read your script and I want to buy it and were you writing that kind of stuff in your spare time alongside working full-time is that how that kind of first script was generated yeah I was writing I was writing in my spare time and basically evenings weekends whenever I could it was really difficult trying to do that and break in whilst also make an income so definitely at the beginning it was a lot of juggling and I think that's always the most stressful bit Mm, and I think I'm wondering whether you you're in the kind of job sense the jobs that you were looking for were you looking something that could facilitate the writing or were you just looking for something you know that was maybe industry adjacent and that you could earn money doing I think I was just looking to get into drama because I felt like I wasn't sure if I would be able to make it as a writer immediately so I just sort of thought the closer you can get into that world the better and I script edited for maybe two years and I really loved it and I sort of thought that would have been something I would have happily gone into but I think I just always knew deep down that I wanted to write so it was more a case of I tried to keep the two quite separate because I don't think it's very helpful when you're a writer and you're being script edited by someone who wants to be a writer Mm -hmm. Um, so I was trying to keep the two separate but yeah it just sort of was something I was doing on the side and then it kind of built up its own traction And what was working at Left Bank like? That must have been, you know, a window into some very high end productions. Yeah, Left Bank is a super cool company. And my I came in and had this mentor called Suzanne Mackey, who's now doing her own thing uh, with a deal at Netflix. And she was just kind of my inspiration and became a really great friend. But I think she sort of made me realise so much about drama and what it means to make drama and then yeah I worked on a couple of different things both in development and in production but yeah I got I wrote something that Left Bank ended up optioning which was the pitch for Origin so they kind of helped facilitate me becoming a writer. And is that because you went into that job you know having had that commission for the comedy and they kind of knew that you were a writer from the get-go or did it kind of take a while for you to almost like pluck up the courage to admit that you were a writer too and you know tell everyone in your workplace that that was what you were hoping to do? Yeah it definitely took time to admit openly that I wanted to write and also I gave them my sitcom script and they were not interested in it. So it was kind of only then when I got an agent and I got um, some, an offer from someone else for Origin that I think that made them sort of think, oh, maybe she's serious about this. So no, I don't think I don't think they saw me as a writer and like fair enough because I was working as a script editor. But yeah, it was something that once I kind of committed to, they really helped me and got on board with it. So how did um, getting an agent come about? You know, was that just was that you pursuing that and sending scripts out or did they kind of take notice of you in a, in a different um, means? So I'd got this offer from Objective to option my sitcom and it was pretty much off the back of that that I talked to a couple of people that I knew at Left Bank, a couple of writers, and they sort of said, maybe you could talk to this person. And I talked to agents that I did know. Uh, One particular writer put me in touch with his agent and she was just immediately like, I'd love to help you with this and represent you. And I think just when I met her, we just met for coffee and she just seemed so up for what I wanted to do and she didn't care that I hadn't done anything and she just felt really kind of human and honest and had a lot of integrity so I just immediately felt like she was the right person to sign with. And what was it that you wanted to do at that stage you know what was your kind of elevator pitch for your ideas in general or your writing voice in general and has that evolved since that kind of first meeting? I think I always wanted to write genre 
that was the thing that I watched the most of and I was just excited by and I weirdly find it more I find it easier to write from my imagination quite in a far-fetched way than thinking about something that's quite real so I think that still stays with me I really love writing genre of all different kinds but I was probably I was really focused on I wanted to write an episode of someone else's show and just get some credits and some experience and that was sort of what I was doing right at the beginning and I was just trying to get ideas into development whereas I think now I'm much more I concentrate a lot more on the ideas that I really love and sort of seeing them through from the beginning to actually wanting to get them made so I do think your goalposts shift a little bit based on where you are. And given that the first thing that was commissioned was a sitcom, was that sort of by design because maybe it was not easier to write a sitcom, but maybe it was easier to get picked up than perhaps a feature screenplay? Or was that just, you know, you had this idea and it felt like the format of sitcom kind of matched with it most closely? I think because I was working at Objective and they made comedy, it just felt like a natural home and a kind of natural space for me to be writing in. I re- I still really love writing comedy. I don't think I write any drama that doesn't have comedy in it. But yeah, I think it maybe felt a bit more achievable because it was lower budget. You know, they're often half hours. Yeah, I was just kind of figuring out what I wanted to write, I think. Whereas now I'm much more open about the fact that everything that I want to write is like super ambitious genre stuff but yeah I think when you're at the beginning you're just trying to find your feet and trying to find ways for people to sort of take more of a chance on you and so just thinking about the kind of the linearity of your your career path you're at left bank you're a script editor and you just got this commission for origin or they they were interested in the pilot is that the first moment that you kind of were starting to make money from writing and that perhaps you thought you know you could leave behind the script editing and kind of make this into a full-time career well, actually, I got offered an episode of Lucky Man that was for Sky. That was the first thing I was offered. And about the same time, I was offered an episode of Troy, Fall of a City, for Netflix and BBC. So they kind of happened around the same time. And just the workload of that made it really obvious to me that I couldn't do both of them at the same time. I was going to try originally, but then when Origin started getting traction as well, I, I just thought it's the best thing to follow my dreams and kind of Mm. pursue what I really want to do but that was a really big deal leaving a nine to five I think is really scary for everyone yeah absolutely did you kind of think okay I'll have to try this and if it doesn't work out I can kind of come back what what was it that made you think yeah that leap of faith could work I think I just really knew that I wanted to write so it just felt like something I needed to do and I had to try but I was definitely scared about it and I think when I first did it it was just the weirdness of working from home and never having an office to go into. And that was quite terrifying. But then you just sort of figure it out and you figure out the best ways for you to work. Now I feel like I couldn't go back, but it didn't feel like, I guess it did feel like a leap of faith in that you never know what's going to happen. But I think you just know if you're sort of meant to do something or if you're really compelled to do something and you just end up following that instinct. I think this is a good time to talk about your writing practice in general and, you know, how you set your own hours. Are you still a nine to five person or is it kind of a more wherever you are and whenever that you write? I'd say my workload varies based on what I'm working on. Obviously, if I'm in production, it's just insane and you're working every hour of the day. (laughs) But when I'm in my day to day, generally start maybe at 10 and I'll always take a lunch break and then I'll go on a bit after lunch. But I just think I could work longer, but I know that the quality would decrease. So I only work over that amount if I've got deadlines or if I'm Mm. in production. I do think that's the optimum creative amount of time. Yeah, I guess it's good to have that sort of like discipline about your practice as well and know know that 
yeah, you'll, you'll get better work out yourself if you kind of take that time to recharge and then do it in those hours. I'm also interested in the fact that, yeah, you said you got offered episodes and, you know, how hard is it? Because normally the other ideas are self-generative and that you've come up with the story worlds and you've come up with the characters. So how hard is it to kind of jump into that, you know, frame of mind when it's someone else's show and, and you're writing kind of within their world? I think when you're writing on someone else's show, it's actually in many ways easier because they've done the heavy lifting of creating the world and the mythology and the characters. So from that perspective, I think it can be really exciting to go into something where you're almost facilitating or creating, you're adding your ideas and you're creating something where they can brainstorm and bounce ideas off you. I think it can be challenging once you've led a room or you've show run something, it's difficult to go back and not make the decisions. But I think if it's with the right person, like if it's someone you really admire, you really want to go in and learn from them. I think if I get offered things, whether it's an IP that I really love or if it's working with some writer or creator that I really admire, then I think I would definitely want to keep doing them because I'll just keep learning from them. And let's talk about running a show because it is a word that it's kind of a it does what it says on the tin. But at the same time, I think it maybe obscures maybe a lot of what your responsibilities are. So you're a showrunner on your own YouTube commission series, Origin. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, if you can talk me through a how that happened, given that that was the first time you'd run a show. And what were your responsibilities? Yeah, I think because in the UK, we don't have show running as much as a term it's a term that's kind of growing now mm. um, we tended to have sort of head writers and then directors whereas being a showrunner is literally running the show so you're across everything so you're obviously writing but you're also on set with the actors with the director you're part of the production design you're part of the casting you're part of the editing music costume everything so I think it's a really different job to being a writer much more producerial so I think some writers will like it and some writers really won't it won't be for them in terms of how origin happens I felt because I think because it was an original idea that sort of always stood in my favor to me show running it but I think it was partly because YouTube was this new platform and they were sort of they were much more open to giving new voices huge opportunities and left bank were really supportive as well about me show running and I did have uh, many execs to work with who were really supporting me but yeah I think it was a huge risk for them and I really loved the experience but I also know now that I've done it that it's one of the hardest jobs that you can do and given that as you say like writing is such a a different enterprise to then the world of production how did you prepare for that you know did you already have these ideas of what you maybe wanted it to look like and and feel like that you could then take to the show were you having to do lots of research to kind of gear yourself up for that role when you start a show you'll have a director come on board who's sort of the lead director so a lot of the designing of what it looks like it will be them and a production designer and they're thinking about what they want the spaceship to look like and what they want the other planet to look like Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing and that's an ongoing discussion that you have together I had a lot of my own ideas and I think when I come up with an original idea or even if I'm adapting something for me it's really clear in my head that's why I've kind of turned my hand to directing recently but I think it is a really collaborative thing and I think it is something that will always benefit from having many different experts across so yeah it was it felt really natural to me when I got there and I started the show running job 
I don't think you can prepare for it. I think you just get shoved in the deep end and either you sink or you swim. And I was just very lucky in that it felt quite natural to me. And I just really loved it. Whereas I'm sure for some people, it it just wouldn't be something that they wanted to do. And you mentioned that it was a risk that YouTube took. Did you feel that pressure? And if so, how did you deal with that? It's weird. I didn't really feel the pressure of that. <laughs> just kind of knew what I wanted the show to be. And it just felt like a really strong team. Like I had an amazing script editor and story producer and producer and exec. And I just felt really supported. And I think we were all really united in the goal of what we wanted to do. So I didn't really feel the pressure. And YouTube were amazing as well. They were really, really empowering of me. And so I think I just felt quite free to do it and to make it work. And it was, as I say, it was incredibly hard, but it just felt really good. And it felt like a really cohesive operation. Were you pleased with how the show turned out? You know, how did the experience of making it compare to perhaps what you'd expected it to to feel like? I was really proud of the show. I think just the fact that we made that show in the time that we made it, you know, it was commissioned in, I think, maybe July 2017 or something like that. And it came out November 2018. You know, it's completely crazy. We went out to Cape Town in the January with three scripts and started filming. And so I think in terms of the feat, of everything that we managed to do and the way it looked and the directors that we had and the caliber of the cast. I'm so proud of that. I guess the thing that was a little bit not how I imagined it was the fact that it came out on a platform that closed really quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that was really disappointing because it came out on YouTube and then they announced they weren't going to do drama about two weeks after. And I felt like it didn't, for that reason, it didn't really get the life that it should have done. But I sort of look back on it and I just think how much I learned from it. And I also had lifelong friendships from it. I'm still really close with Paul Anderson, who directed the first two episodes. The production designer is like a really good friend of mine. Lots of the actors. So I think it just feels like such a valuable life experience more than anything. Yeah, I think, you know, each creative thing that you do has to be seen in the context yeah the experience as opposed to just what perhaps the audience get to see of it and I know that you've also worked in writers rooms which I think is really interesting and maybe you know quite a different beast um so you've worked on Black Mirror and also Amazon series uh Hannah um and I'm wondering you know how that experience compares you know going in and sitting with lots of writers and maybe lots of ideas being thrown around as opposed to kind of just sifting through the ideas you know in your one head (laughs) Yeah, I think being in a writer's room is really exciting. I think running a writer's room is also great. I just think the more clever people you get in a room, the better something's always going to be. I suppose when you're in a room that's a bit overcrowded, that can be quite challenging because you want to make yourself heard, but you also want to respect what everyone else is saying. But generally speaking, I mean, the Black Mirror room and the Hannah room were really small. In Hannah, there were two of us um, in addition to David Farr. And then in Black Mirror, there were three of us and Charlie. So they were really small rooms and they're pretty much just a time that you get to sit down and talk about really crazy, fun, weird ideas. So they're just really enjoyable. And I think when you're working underneath someone else, you see the creative decisions that they make and the directions that they go in and they might not be the ones you would have chosen. But I think it's also really interesting to see why they've gone down that route. And conversely, when I've been in rooms that I've run, I think that's like a different kind of challenge because you're trying to empower everyone in the room and make sure that they're heard and take on board what everyone's saying. So 
I think they're both they're, they're really different things but I really love writers rooms and I think I'll never stop doing them is, is it because you kind of feel them actively yeah informing your process and as you say like I don't know does it validate your own choices when you see someone else feeling like yeah that's that's the direction that we have to go in yeah and I think you learn lots of skills like one of the execs that worked on origin had been one of the execs and creators of lost And I think seeing him work, seeing the way that he navigated a room and empowered everyone, I just learned so much from how he communicated. Whereas I think working with someone like David Farr, it was the excitement and the energy that he gave to every idea, even if it was an idea that further down the line didn't work. I think just seeing him get so excited about something, it was really inspiring. And I suppose every writer is really different, but it teaches you something new that hopefully you can incorporate into your own style when you're running a room and how did you build the confidence to you know get your voice heard in rooms like that obviously if as you say if they're smaller it's perhaps easier but you know you're still having to to build the confidence to just put forward an idea anyway was that something that was innate or that you really had to kind of push yourself to do I think I was really lucky because I'd been a script editor so I already had a bit of a structural brain and a bit Mm -hmm. of a story brain and I knew what it was like to sit in those rooms and speak about different ideas but I think when you go into a writer's room you're there because they've chosen you to be there and they want to hear your ideas so I think it's a really in many ways it's an easy environment to be in for that because you're all there in order to talk things through so I think kind of the worst thing you could do is go in and not say anything because you're shy because it's kind of making the purpose of you being there slightly redundant it's still really nerve-wracking you know sometimes you voice ideas and while you're voicing them you realize that they're quite shit (laughs) so I think it can be really nerve-wracking whatever level you're at and even when you're running the room you can say things and make decisions and think I'm not sure if that was the right thing but yeah I think it's just about a writer's room is meant to be a really fun place where you come up with ideas and you tell stories and I think sometimes we all have to take steps back and just be like we're so lucky to be in these rooms and we should just like talk freely with one another and has it ever not been a fun place and like how do you deal with atmospheres where sometimes it can just maybe feel hostile or you feel like you're not being heard I don't think I've ever had a bad writer's room experience actually and I think that probably speaks to the people that I've worked with because that's what defines what room feels like it really does work from the top down I think But I'm sure that there could be instances where maybe you feel like some of the other writers are not necessarily in tandem with your ideas. But I sort of also think that's okay. Like, I think there's nothing wrong with having a debate or even having a smallish argument with someone about an idea, because that's what you're there to do. But I don't think it should ever feel unpleasant. Absolutely. And then thinking back to your own projects, you've got a lot of really exciting ones kind of in development um, and spanning, you know, lots of different genres, formats, locations. And I'm wondering, you know, when you have all of those kind of projects bubbling away at the same time, how difficult is it to switch between the different kind of mindsets that it takes to, to write these um, scripts? Yeah, it's really interesting because I had a chat with Alex Garland about this recently because he works on one project at a time. Mm. And I think his work is so phenomenal. And I'm sure it is phenomenal, partly because he makes that choice. But for me, it's kind of once I've handed one project in, and I'm waiting for notes on it, I really want to just keep working. I just want to get into something like if I'm not writing, I don't feel quite 
satisfied. So I think for me, having multiple projects is really good and it keeps me excited about everything and it gives me variety. And I don't find it difficult to go between the two or three or however many things I've got on. I, I do tend to write something. I'll finish a draft completely before I move on to something else. So even though I might be working on, say, five different projects, it's not like I'm working on one for a couple of hours, then moving on to something else, then moving right. on to something else. I will stick to one project until that particular draft or pitch or whatever is done and then move on. But for me, it just keeps it interesting. It's kind of like when you're watching TV, sometimes you're just watching one thing or you might be the kind of person who has different things for different moods. And I think I'm just slightly the latter. Yeah, that's very true. Do you have like, I don't know, like playlists or anything else that kind of sets you into that kind of writing headspace? I tend to write with, I write a lot with the Studio Ghibli soundtrack on (laughs) um, because I find it sometimes when I'm listening to stuff with lyrics, I then find it a little bit difficult to write dialogue. But the thing I've noticed, because I work in a shared office space, I act my scripts out as I write them. And sometimes I just think they must think I'm so crazy (laughs) because I'll be like writing a really sad scene and crying or something. So I think when I'm when I'm writing, I sort of go somewhere else and I can't really I don't really see or hear anything around me. So there might be music playing, but I might not even hear it. I'd also love to unpack that term development a little bit, just because I think it's something that can maybe encompass a broad range of activities. So can you can you shed some light on what specifically it is you're doing to your script um, or a script in that development phase? Yeah, I think de- in development just means not in production, because once you're in production, you're basically on this increasingly scary road towards gearing up for something so that becomes prep and then it becomes the shoot and then it becomes the edit whereas I think when you're in development it just means that you're writing um, and you don't have anything green lit necessarily for me I have multiple things in development at one time so it's often that I'm most of the things I have are at script stage I don't really I don't love doing outlines or pitches anymore I sort of think people know my writing enough to be like we'll commission a script or we won't so yeah for me it's normally addressing notes or writing new drafts but sometimes I'll be doing a bible for something which is like a big document about the show as a whole and yeah it's it's often kind of working on things until one of them gets green lit that's sort of what being in development is Mm, I suppose yeah it's it often it often sounds like quite a frustrating time but actually it's a luxurious time right because yeah as you say it's like just before the frantic nature of production and it's this time to kind of constantly be refining your idea and like keep working on it yeah I think being in development is the point where you don't have anything green lit and having now made a show I appreciate that time so much because you couldn't constantly be in production you would just <laughs> collapse and die so the development process is really important just to have a bit of a normal life during that time but also I think it's like a recharge period and it's a period for you to really get stuck into the story and the characters and make sure you know that show inside out before it goes into production but yeah I think development can be really frustrating like I've had projects that I love and I've worked on for years and then they kind of never go anywhere And I think Mm. that can be really sad because it's like your baby that no one will ever know existed. But I kind of think that the really special projects that are your passion projects, you'll always dig back out later. So I sort of think it is frustrating at the time, but you kind of just have to look at the long game. 
Yeah, because I, I would assume that the reasons aren't necessarily that it's, you know, out and out bad. It's often just that maybe a production company has a similar show on their slate or that it's just not the right time, right? So you can hopefully revisit that project. Is that kind of how you perceive it when that happens? Yeah, definitely. And I think writing more and having been on both sides as well, having been at a production company, you realize that the reason that things get commissioned are so not straightforward. It's pretty much never just that something's good. It'll be about timing. It'll be about zeitgeist. It'll be about what else they've got, who's attached, and the relationships that you have with commissioners as well. And so in some ways, that can be quite soul-destroying because you think that a really good story will get told. But then at the same time, it's kind of reassuring to know that, because all writing is subjective anyway, so nothing's going to be, it's bad. Like some one commissioner might pick something up and hate it, and another one might love it and commission it. So I just think it does reassure you that when it is a no, it's not, it's bad. And it's not also never. Mm. It's something that means you could refine something and bring it back out at the right time. Is that also a motivation to kind of write from maybe a deeper kind of gut level as opposed to trying to tap into the zeitgeist and what you think might be popular? Are you kind of just led by what you think might be interesting at that particular moment? Yeah, 100%. I think I've probably written, especially at the beginning of my career, I've sold ideas because I think they'll sell. And I think that's just the worst thing you can do because then you have to spend years with that idea and really, really love it. So I think now I only take on stuff that I really love and believe in because, you know, five, 10 years down the line, if you're, if you've made that thing and maybe you're still making it and it's on season six or whatever, you have to still love it and be able to talk about it passionately. So I think you can only ever write from the gut. And if you're not, it does tend to get found out in the end. And and coming back to that idea of like recharging, I'm wondering if there's anything you do specifically to sort of creatively reset and, you know, when you're in that idea generating place, what are you doing to try and, you know, stay as tuned in to your ideas as possible? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because I think I've had sessions where I've sat down and tried to come up with ideas and I just get nothing. And I think part of, for me, realising that my inspiration comes from, it comes unpredictably so I'll be going for a walk and then an idea will come to me or I'll be traveling to some other country and I'll have an idea so I don't think you can actually force inspiration I think that has to come on its own Mm. Um, so I think the main thing I do to work is not work it's almost like the time that I spend not at work with my friends or traveling or exercising it's like that's the fuel that creates the creative the creative juices. I don't think it's ever that helpful to try and make what's not your work about your work, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree with like the movement thing as well. I don't know what it is particularly like scientifically about just like getting your body moving, but it does just free up the space, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. And then when you're when you're coming up with ideas, how long do you kind of let that idea sit um, and try and like flesh it out before you actually go to the page and start writing it up? I think normally when I come up with an idea, I'll be thinking about it, then I'll probably write some kind of basic pitch, just a few pages long of what the idea is. And then I might share it with someone who would hopefully then commission something from that. And then we'd start having conversations about it. So I think I put pen to paper really quickly um, because if I'm excited about something, I kind of can't help it. I think in terms of a script, I'll normally outline before I write the script. I don't tend to just ever write from nothing. 
but I think I think it can be really helpful to ruminate on all of your ideas but I just think it's always the right thing to just be writing because you can always rewrite and you can always start again but I think just to be doing something is probably that's my process anyway and who do you go to for second opinions you know when you've come up with that first draft who are you showing first yeah I have a lot of people that I share scripts with I have a lot of actor friends that I tend to send things to for just like a first opinion probably even before I would send it to the producers um, of something I'm doing just because it can be really good to have a non not that they're not in the industry but have a perspective that's not editorial Mm. um, straight away and just have like a really gut instinct reading so I have quite a big network of people I would send things to and then I suppose it, it tends to be the person that you're working on the idea with because I now tend to work very quickly with people that I know and like and trust rather than writing a lot of stuff on spec I don't really have time to write stuff on spec as much anymore and do you have also like a support group I mean that sounds um quite serious but you know just people that you can also rely on if you know what if and when the industry is hard or you're having a bad writing day are there people around you that kind of help you through those moments yeah absolutely I think uh, I've got a couple of writer friends as well and I think it's really useful because being a writer is such a complicated thing and your work is so tied up in your identity. And I think probably more so than with any other job, because what you produce is just a reflection of you. And then you're obviously putting it out there for people to judge and make kind of comments and criticism about. So I think it's quite difficult not to let it either inflate or deflate your ego. So I think it's a really complicated thing. And having people that are around my age and are maybe on similar Um, levels of where they are at in their career is just really helpful because you can talk to them about things that (laughs) might sound really shameful if you tell other people how you're feeling about things so yeah I think I'm very lucky I have kind of industry and non-industry friends to talk to about that kind of thing and in those moments where you might feel deflated how do you stay sort of yeah I guess how do you keep the faith that maybe you're making the right choices or that you're writing the thing that you want to write yeah, I, th- I think that's a really, it's a really pertinent question, actually, because it can be really hard. Like if you have something that you've written on for years and it gets rejected at the end, you can be so deflated and just feel like you're shit, basically, and really question yourself, not just as a writer, but as a human. You'll be like, oh, this means I'm bad, fundamentally not good in some way. But I think for me, what's always happened is even if I get really low about a project or something, because I just want to write all the time, I don't really have, I never take the time to sort of stop writing for any significant period because I just want to write all the time. Um, So I think that's probably what makes me get back to my desk. But also I do think it's having a circle of people that value you as a human separately to your work, um, because then it kind of reminds you that you are not just that project, whatever that project was. So yeah, it's probably it's probably a mix of things of like support, but also just like a create a compulsion. And I know obviously you just mentioned that you moved into directing. And I'm wondering how that opportunity arose. You know, did that is that again something that you're like, I want to make that happen for myself, or someone presented you with that opportunity? I did a bit of directing on origin because we were triple banking. We were filming many episodes at once. So we had different units. And if it was if there was ever sort of spillage or stuff we hadn't got, I stepped in and directed a bit. 
and I just really enjoyed it and it was a really different experience because it was such a huge crew and because I was so pulled in many directions from being a showrunner I didn't have time to get into it properly but I wrote this short film it's like a Japanese horror about dementia and it's a really really personal story and I think because it was so personal I just felt like I wanted to bring it to the screen myself and yeah I have this friend her name's Carissa she works at Eleven and we've always just been really close in developing things and she had sort of said you know she'd kind of empowered me to want to direct it and we took it to film four and they gave us funding and then Sony also came on board so it just happened quite naturally and I have to say the directing of it was really incredible I don't think I would I don't think I want to direct full stop as in make that my full-time job. I always want to write first. But I think if there's a story that feels really personal and important, then I would love to direct it myself. And it's interesting what you're saying actually before, like writing from a personal place, but that then tapping into the zeitgeist just almost coincidentally, because I know dementia and horror is something that is having a bit of a moment and is definitely a medium that is useful, I think, in exploring that. And I'm wondering what you think it is about that genre that enables us to maybe explore the sort of the more taboo parts of society or, or complex illnesses and conditions like dementia. I think horror is really unique in that way because it's very heightened and it takes you as an audience to somewhere that isn't real life, if that makes sense. But, it, but because of that, it allows you to look at very difficult subjects like I think with It Follows and that being a way of talking about STIs or the Babadook and that being a way to talk about what does it feel like for a mother that doesn't really love her child. It feels like that genre is really apt for those subjects because they are really dark, but they're also just such a great way of shining a light on something without having to look at it directly. You know, I think with dementia, it's an illness that you can't see and you can't fight and so making it a horror just felt really right and I think I think it really works in terms of the way that the story plays out you know you feel it's a really scary thing anyway and then when you put it in a particular genre like horror it just amplifies all the feelings around it so yeah I think you know I've always loved really intelligent horror that talks about something relevant and real so I think it's just a really great, and it's the same for sci-fi, it's just a really great genre to be able to explore things that are actually really pertinent. And thinking about the short film writing process, I'm wondering, you know, when you, when you started writing that script, do you apply all the same kind of processes and methodologies as you would any other kind of script? Or are you having to almost like relearn how to write something for a more kind of, um, yeah, a shorter form? Yeah, I think... Uh, I think writing a short is different because it's really, really self-contained and you have to have a beginning, middle and end with a hook in a really short amount of time. So it does feel different, but I think you have to find the right story. I don't think it's right to tell a feature length story, try and tell a feature length story in a short or try and tell a story that has is essentially an episode one of like a 12 part series in a short. I think it's very unique to find the right kind of story for a short film. Um, but this one felt really good. And I think it's also about um, appreciating it completely as a form in its own right. And being like, this doesn't need to have a season two. And this doesn't need to make loads of money. This is just here as a story that I want to tell. Um, and I think there's something quite beautiful in that. And that's probably why they still sustain. Yeah, no, no, totally. 
And then I'm wondering if that's something that you consider to be like the biggest learning curve of your career, you know, something that maybe you wish younger Mika could have could have known and would have learned from. Probably the biggest learning curve would be, I think I doubted a lot whether I could make it as a writer, as in, I think I had a lot of fears around not being able to support myself financially. And I think some people coming into the industry are really lucky in that they might have sort of independent wealth that would allow them to just keep writing and not have to worry too much about that. But I think for me, I was just always concerned about making a living. And I think for that reason, I took quite a circuitous route into getting where I really wanted to be when I did really know that screenwriting was Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. But at the same time, I think that's not necessarily a bad thing to sort of not put all your eggs in one basket immediately. Um, But yeah, I think being able to, if I was able to give myself advice when I was younger, I'd probably say just be really open about what you really want to do and don't feel that you have to, to hide it. Because I think there was something quite scary in saying, I want to write, because so many people do. Yeah, no, totally. And so many, and so few achieve it, I guess, is mm. like that kind of dual anxiety. But then I'm also wondering, did you have a, a moment where you were like, I've made it as a, I guess it's a process of continually making it. But when did that moment arrive for you where you felt like I'm doing okay, or I'm, I'm making a living or I'm writing what I want to be writing? I do think it's something that's continually evolving, as you say, because you can never, you're never going to have made it. I just think if you look at any filmmaker ever, they're never going to be like, okay, great, made that film, done now. Um, Everyone's always trying to top themselves. Mm. But I think, I think probably when I got to Cape Town and I was driving to the Origin set and I just saw the signs saying Origin, And then walking onto that set and seeing how huge it was. I think that was a real moment for me of thinking, actually, this is real. I also think the first time you ever hear actors read your script, you know, I had that with the short film as well. When you see these really talented, legitimate people reading your words out loud and you're kind of like, oh my God, I can't believe that they are reading my stupid idea. (laughs) But I think it'll, I don't think it'll ever go away. And I don't think I think any good filmmaker won't ever think they've made it. And then as someone that likes to continually write and always work on different projects, do you allow yourself those moments of kind of gratitude or or just feeling like you've done something really good? I think you have to, because if you don't, you're never rewarding yourself and you're always going to be fixated on achievement. And I think that's something as well that really comes up when you're perhaps a younger writer is like you really want people to know that you can do it and you want to win awards and you want a really successful show and I'm not saying I I don't want all those things but I think you have to take time to feel really lucky that you get to write for a living you get to write stories for a living which is insane but also when you write something that you're really you think is really good I think it's okay to be really excited about it and not sort of be ashamed of celebrating some of your own work. I think it can be really difficult not to get knocked back by things, but I suppose that's why you need to put more emphasis on, you know, if you've just had something greenlit or if you've just written, even if you've just written a scene that you really like, I think it's okay to just kind of take a moment and be really proud of it. And that actually kind of just um, threw up another question, which is the difficulty with development. You know, 
coming back to the idea of like awards and wanting to be seen to be doing it is it also an element of difficulty that when you're in development it's still kind of not invisible because people in the industry have seen it and they and they want it and they're working on it but maybe it's invisible at the moment to a wider audience is that part of it also difficult that you kind of you're sitting on this bed of you know great projects that you can't quite show to the world just yet yeah, I think it is. I think it is really difficult because ultimately you write because you want someone to read it or see it. That is the point. Like one of my friends said, would you continue to write if no one would ever read or see your work? And I was like, I would because I just have this compulsion to do it. But it would be really sad because ultimately you just want to connect with people. That's why you're doing it in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it can be difficult if you're in development for a really long time. You know, there are writers in Hollywood who spent their entire career in development and never had anything made and I do think that's really difficult because as you've said it's not that their ideas or writing are bad it will be that it's timing and all of those factors so I think it's just keeping the faith really that the right stories do get told and also appreciating the process because if I work on a script with someone that I really trust and really admire you know, they've read it and they've had opinions about it. And that in itself means quite a lot. So even if that project doesn't ultimately get green lit, you had an experience with those people and you got to share it with them. And I think, I think that's really valuable as well. Mm. And presumably that process will then go on to inform the thing that does get made. Like you'll, you know, you'll be a better writer because of that experience regardless. And then finally, I'd love to know what is a film from a woman director that you think is a bit of a hidden gem you'd want to spotlight today? I was thinking loads about this because I think it's it's a really good question and it's funny because so my favorite movie is The Third Man and it's I remember when I watched it and it said directed by Carol Reed and I was like oh my god it's directed by a woman but obviously it's not it's like an old black and white film and I was thinking that maybe I, I was like I could do a really really like highbrow obscure thing but actually the film that I think is really amazing is um Twilight Catherine Hardwick's Twilight okay nice I just think that was it was such a commercially successful franchise and it wasn't ever guaranteed to be and I think that first film is really special because if you've seen Catherine Hardwick's earlier had earlier films and like 13 and the way that she directed that and the way that she brought that sort of indie sensibility to Twilight in the palette and the casting and I think the soundtrack and the way she uses handheld the way she creates the intimacy between those characters It's like she took something very YA fantasy, could have been trashy Mm. and made it feel quite art house. And I just really, I just really admire that. And I think, you know, when I adapt things, you know, my favorite show growing up was Buffy. And I feel like Buffy is in so many ways quite, it's kind of mainstream, but it's kind of nerdy and it sort of sits in this quite strange space. But when he looks at really interesting topics like her mother dying, the way that he tackles that subject through genre is amazing. And I think with Twilight, the way that she captured falling in love for the first time, I just thought it was really powerful. And I thought for me, you know, when I write things or adapt things that might be of a certain, fit into a certain box, being able to bring some level of complexity or sophistication or doing it in a way that people didn't don't expect, that's kind of, I just find that really inspiring in her and I kind of want to follow that yeah that's so true actually especially when you consider that 
there are shows now that are really big that are kind of doing that like euphoria or dare me and there's these sort of yeah as you say like edgy indie ya stories but she was doing that yeah like a decade before it became became big and it would be such a different movie if I think it was directed by a man then we forget that definitely and I think you know the people like she really made Kristen Stewart as big as she is now and I just think what an incredible actor to put in that film like the way that she performs in that film is just so alternative to what you would expect from YA films in that genre particularly before that point so I just think the choices she made are really intelligent and I, I just think it's it's a really cool example of her work. I have to give her a rewatch. <laughs> yeah, give it another watch. <laughs> Amazing. Mika, thank you so much. It's been such thank a pleasure you. chatting with you today. It's so fun. Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. You can find all my previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast. If you're particularly interested in screenwriting, I recommend digging out my episodes with Harry Whatliffe, Helen Simmons and Eva Riley. I'll be back with another episode next Tuesday, but in the meantime, have a wonderful week. Mm-hmm.